All right, I love what I'm seeing uh, in real life, in real time, practicing the one another's of Scripture, love one another, greet one another, way to go venture. It's great to see you today. Why don't you go ahead and grab us? You're already sit, sitting. I, that paragraph, I talked too long. You were already sitting down by the time I could get the words out of my mouth. All right. Well, welcome to church. I'm so glad that you're here. We are in this Philippians series. We're chasing joy all the way through the book of Philippians. And uh, I want to dive right in. This passage, I've been telling you for a few weeks now, that this series, this sermon series, in my heart, your pastor's heart, has been 29 years in the making. And this passage, oh my goodness, it is right up toward the top of why. The title of this sermon is Matters of Life and Death. You can take that every which way that you want to take it. Life and death matters. The matters of life and death the Apostle Paul gets right to the heart of the matter here in the first chapter of Philippians. If you haven't gone there yet, open up your Bibles or open up this uh, Scripture journal. I think I'm on page, where am I, page 8 of that journal. Look at verse 21. This might be the thesis statement of this passage. It's one that I have meditated on these few short words over and over again, at least for 29 years. Look at this. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you believe that? Do the truth, the truths of those words, have they etched their power in your heart? in your soul. Paul leaks his heart here in this passage. There is so much that we can glean from it. I don't have enough time to unpack all of it, but I want to do my level best. I had a fun moment last night with Dawn. Uh, I pulled out this Bible. I, I looked for it in the basement, and I found it on a bookshelf I don't frequent very often. This is a Bible that I purchased uh, at an outlet store, I think, in Tuscola, Illinois, with my then-girlfriend and her mother. She's my wife now, and now it's my mother-in-law. And uh, I bought this Bible. This was kind of my devotional reading Bible through Bible College. And I happened to take this one with me on a mission trip to Seattle, Washington. If you've ever been on a mission trip, kind of the mantra of a mission trip is you do whatever. I mean, you're just, here I am, coach put me in. I'm ready to play. And uh, they asked me to preach. And I gave them my best five-minute sermon as, the, oh my goodness, it's still ringing in my ears today. I found this, um, well, this is my sermon outline right there. <laughs> Number one, remember your chains, Philippians chapter 1, verse 14. That'll make sense in a minute. It's straight out of the text. Number two, just do it. I think there might be some copyright infringement on that one. I think I stole that one from Nike. Number three, no fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Just do it was Philippians 1, 18. We're going to look at that text here in just a second. What you don't know is my outfit that day, I think I was wearing Nike shoes, and I think I was wearing a No Fear brand T-shirt. Some of you are old enough to remember that short-lived brand. 
At the end of my powerful five-minute sermon, later that night, one of the gals on the trip said, hey, I wonder if maybe God's calling you to be a preacher. Maybe. The wheels start turning. This is a 29 years in the making sermon series. That passage that we just looked at, what I didn't tell you, Philippians 1.21, this was about, oh, two, maybe three years after my mother passed away. She died my senior year of high school. I watched my mom embody that text well. I saw her live in Christ, and I had a front row seat to her death in Christ. And it challenged me that there is a blurry line between this life and the life to come. There's something going on here in the text. And I want to be careful not to make this too flippant, but you've heard the phrase, when, hot, when life hands you lemons, what do you do? You make lemonade. So I want to spend some time today making lemonade out of lemons because I think the Apostle Paul embodies this truth very well. I was cleaning out uh, in the house we just bought and are rehabbing. I found this my wife actually found it, and Dawn was showing this to me, and I immediately flashed back on a moment making lemonade when I was a little boy with my mom. And I think in this text, you know how when you're studying a passage, it's like you start seeing things everywhere you look? I hope that happens for you as we study through Philippians together. I hope there's a moment on Tuesday and Wednesday when you go, oh, yeah, and the words are kind of floating in your ears. I want to make some lemonade together with you this morning. So I'm going to ask my friend Vincent if he'll just bring some tools out here for me right now. We're going to spend some time making lemonade. Would you welcome and say thank you to Vincent? Yeah. He's got a peer cheering section right over here. I love that. Vincent is one of our high school students. Thank you so much. All right, I want to make some lemonade. Like I said, I want to be careful for this not to be too trivial because what's happening here in the text, oh, it's so not trivial. I mean, it's become flippant in our culture. We're making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. But this is what Paul is doing. I mean, life really handed him some lemons, and he's chasing joy all through it. There's a blurry line between this life and the life to come. It's almost like we're looking into the Apostle Paul's prayer journal here. And it's almost like as we watch him kind of stream of consciousness, almost think out loud, it's a question that I wonder if he's wrestling with. What if there's already a sweetness to the lemons that you've written off as sour? There's a sweetness here to embrace. And so I want to take this passage. We're going to kind of think of it in the form of two chunks of Scripture. We're going to talk about lemons to lemonade. And then later we're going to add the sweetness. And all the while, let's make some lemonade together. Let's talk about lemons to lemonade. It's been said of this passage that it's almost like reading through this letter, epistle is a fancy word for this letter, is like a window into the apostle's own soul. It's almost like we're looking at his prayer journal here. And so let's open that up together. We're looking at lemonade that he makes in prison. He's making lemonade 
in prison. See if I can do that without slicing my finger off. I'm that guy at a restaurant. I like to order uh, a lemon slice or a uh, lime slice and add it to the water. And some people, germaphobes, don't like that. I love it. I say just throw that thing in there. I'm going to drink it. He makes lemonade in prison. Paul informs them as we study this text together, first of all, of the progress that's been happening with the progression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12, chapter 1 of Philippians with me right now. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You might look at the experience that I've walked through, and they had been hearing reports. Back in Philippi, they were hearing reports of some of the lemons that life had thrown at Paul. And he's saying, you might think they're lemons, but I want to show you lemonade. They were aware. This is not bad news, though. He's saying this is good news. Why? Because the gospel is being spread. He could have looked at the bad side of the situation. He could have said, these are lemons. I mean, he was, after all, writing from jail. He was imprisoned. He could have been saying, hey, listen, by the way, Paul, I'm not qualified to make this statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. Looking back through the lens of history, Paul was a type A. He was not the kind of guy who was good at sitting on his hands. He was the kind of guy that was constantly planning the next thing. He was a self-starter. He was an entrepreneur. He was always off to the next city to plant the new church. And here he is for at least two years stuck in jail, sitting on his hands. He can't travel. He can't do the thing that God has called him to do. You might look at that and say, hey, listen, that's a bunch of lemons. He said, no, 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 there's an opportunity here. We're making lemonade. If the gospel was spreading, he's saying, this is good news. Here's some lemonade in prison. As we keep reading the text together, there were sermons, he says, even in his chains, these things that are keep him bound and being stuck in place, there, there are sermons to be found even in his chains. Let's read together verse 13. We're going to continue here in the text. So that it has become known. What's happened to me? Well, it's served to advance the gospel. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. By the way, that's like a light bulb flashing on my dashboard. This is one of the reasons why I believe Paul was writing this letter from Rome, capital city, the imperial guard. It's possible that there was an imperial guard in place at Caesarea Maritima. It's possible he was writing from there, but in my opinion, he's writing from Rome. Let's keep reading. And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I'm here... And Jesus is using this. Acts chapter 28, I'm not going to show it on the screen, but if you want to grab context for this, in my opinion, Acts 28 gives us an idea in verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, all with boldness and without hindrance. Look at verse 16, Acts chapter 28. When he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Can you imagine 
that poor dude had no idea what was waiting for him. I mean, he maybe woke up that morning believing in Zeus or whatever false deity he was born into believing. But you better believe that the Apostle Paul talked to him about Jesus, Lord and Savior. Even in the midst of his imprisonment, there is a sermon in his chains. You might look at this and say, this is lemons. He's saying, oh, there's an opportunity here for lemonade. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. Look ahead, if you want to go ahead to the end of this letter. Chapter 4, verse 22. Look at this. In his final greetings, he says, All the saints, we studied this the first week, saints are the people who make up the assembly of the saints, the body of Christ, the local church. All the saints greet you. He's writing, I believe, from Rome back to Philippi. All the saints here, fellow Jesus followers, greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And I would bet you anything that those guards, the one that woke up thinking about Zeus, is a part of this greeting. He's now a Jesus follower. We'll describe him as a saint. So even in the midst of imprisonment, you might say, hey, that's a lemon. Paul is saying, hey, there's an opportunity here for lemonade. Here's lemonade in prison. His example was prompting others to action. All the while, as we study this in the life of the Apostle Paul, would you ask yourself the question, are you doing this? Do you seize the opportunity where there's lemons to make lemonade? Not in a trivial, trite way, but for Jesus. We're chasing joy. Joy is the baseline through this whole conversation. His example is prompting others to action. Look at verse 14. Most of the brothers... Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. So even the act of him being put into jail has emboldened others. They're much more bold to speak the word without fear. There's something about Paul and bearing up underneath what he has been placed in that has made other people more bold to proclaim the message of Jesus. There's an application there for us. Look at the second here. We talk about uh, lemonade, lemons to lemonade. Look at this second idea. There's lemonade to be found here in persecution. Not just lemonade to be found in prison, but he is also feeling direct persecution because of his faith. Let me show you. Let's count the ways. Here's one, and we pull this, this, this again straight out of the text. Some folks were preaching to hurt Paul. Literally, they're using sermons to dig a knife in his back, to kick him while he's down. Look at verse 15. Check this out. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. They're jealous of Paul. And he's alluding to them right there. But others from goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, this group, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. And it gets worse, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul's stuck in jail. Let's kick him while he's down. Some folks were preaching to hurt Paul. Again, that looks an awful lot like a lemon to me. But look at this. Lemonade, even in the midst of persecution, check this out. We see, even through the text here, through this letter that he leaks his heart out to this group of people, we see his joy shining through the gloom. Joy 
16 times that word joy or the word rejoice happens in this letter, four short chapters. We're going to see a couple of examples of that right now. We see joy shining through the gloom. Look at verse 15 again. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So we could focus on that crew if we wanted to, but hey, look over here. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, I like the NIV the way it says, whether false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, here's our word, I rejoice. I rejoice because even in the midst of what looks like lemons, there is lemonade to be found here. Jesus is being preached. And I rejoice. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul talks about how he shows up sharing the gospel. Look at, look at this. Chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's really the important thing. And whether false motives or true, the important thing is here that Jesus is being preached. It looks like a lemon. Is it possible? It's actually the potential for lemonade. So, could we spend some time now, since we're here and we've got the tools in front of us, could we spend some time squeezing the lemons? This is my favorite part. When I was a kid watching mom do this, this was my favorite part until I saw the sugar. This was my favorite part. We're squeezing the lemons. Here's the first squeeze as we continue here in the text, as we saw what we just read through. We'll just drop that germs and all right down in there because that makes the best lemonade. The squeeze, making good out of ill. Making good out of what others intended for ill. There's some joy to be found there. Makes me think of one of Paul's contemporaries, the Apostle John. He's exiled to the Isle of Patmos. All the rest of his contemporaries, the rest of the disciples are dead. They've been killed for their faith. He's the last man standing. And he's writing to encourage the churches that he's been a part of planting. I love it. He's an old man. He's referring to them as my children. Look at this in 3 John verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Joy to be found good out of ill. He's stuck on an island. He can't do what God's called him to do anymore, but he's doing it with the pen and paper. I wonder, how are you doing with that squeeze, making good out of ill? I hear this sometimes when I visit folks in the hospital. I'm stuck here. But as I'm stuck here, I'm spending devotional time with Jesus. That's growing my faith. And I even see opportunity here inside the hospital to encourage the folks that are here helping me out as I seek to recover. 
I love that approach to life. That always inspires my faith when one of you tells me that's what God is calling you to do, even in the middle of the hospital. Maybe it's a difficult situation at work or with your family or maybe even a relational conflict even here at church. Is it possible making good out of ill? This is the squeeze God is calling you to right now, today. As you think about this next week in front of you, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if we make magnifying Jesus our primary focus in life, we can always make good out of ill. Here's the squeeze. God can use imperfection. Oh, that's fun right there. I wish you had my angle to watch this right here. The juice kind of coming down there and squeezing down in the pulp. Oh, that's delicious. God can use imperfection. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a pastor friend of mine. We were at a retreat together. We were doing some planning. It was time for a break. Everybody's up grabbing snacks. He had just said something. He comes from a different theological background than I do, a little bit more charismatic. He would push me in that area of my life. He had just made a comment about one of those preachers. You probably know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to use their name, but this is a TV evangelist. And I kind of had just dogged the guy. I'd heard him say something positive about him, and I was like, oh, man, I don't like what, I don't agree with what he's saying. At that point in my life, I was a whole lot more black and white than I am today. I was a whole lot like, right, this is right, and this is wrong. And, and I kind of made kind of a sideways comment about his health and wealth gospel, and I don't know if I agree with that. And my friend just kind of stopped. He's older than me, maybe a little wiser. And he said, maybe, maybe. But I can't tell you how many times I've listened and I've heard somebody, maybe it's a shut-in, somebody stuck at home, and the TV is on all day, and they're just watching sermons over and over again, and They talk about that particular person, and they heard something, and God used that in their life to encourage them or to challenge them or to dive deeper into Scripture. Uh, Be careful as you throw stones. And then I opened up. I did maybe what I shouldn't do. I opened up my Bible, and then I got really convicted because I see the Apostle Paul saying the same thing, whether by false motives or true. The important thing is, that Jesus is being preached. He didn't throw a stone. Could look like a lemon. He says there's a potential here for lemonade. By the way, if God could use those imperfect in motive, and those preachers that he's describing, I think their motive was off. I, I can't guess a man's heart, but I wonder sometimes about motives of some of those televangelists that I'm describing. I wonder about motive, but if God can use those imperfect in motive, can't he also use those imperfect in ability? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't know all the right words to say. I don't know. I love that video we just watched. Maybe it's showing up and serving and letting Jesus shine through you simply as you use the gifts that you've been given to glorify him and to magnify him. I love the way Paul puts it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, check this out. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear. It wasn't the powerful oratory words that I brought to you with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Thank goodness 
Thank goodness that God doesn't need talent. He needs availability and willingness and saying, here I am, God, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. God can use us to whatever degree we are able. Okay, so we're squeezing lemons. We're making lemonade. We need to add some sweetness to this, right? This is the most important degree. When I was a kid, I was shocked by how many of those spoonfuls of that my mom would dump in there. And I'd be like, come on, let's, mo- let's do a little bit more. Let's sugar that baby up. I want to read to you the sugar that we see here in the text. I don't want to put it up on the screen. I simply want to read this out loud. I want you to listen to this. Again, we're getting an insight into the Apostle Paul's prayer journal. He's just almost stream of consciousness here. It's almost like we can hear his brain thinking as he writes to this church that he loves. It's almost like we get this idea he's thinking about the blurry line between this life and the life to come. And I don't know if this is true, but it's almost like I get the idea he had some power here to say the right thing to the wrong person or the wrong thing to the right person, and maybe his life would be over. And he's kind of debating, and he's kind of this internal struggle. He's wrestling I mean, I want to be with Jesus, and that's better. But there's important work that I do here. Well, rather than me say it, let's listen to his words. Let me read verse 18 again. He says, what then? Talking about these false preachers. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And then almost as if, hey, maybe you didn't catch it the first time. We're looking for joy 16 times through four short chapters. There's one. He says it emphatically. He repeats it. Yes, and I will rejoice. The NIV says it this way, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, me being in prison, me feeling direct persecution, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Can you feel the tension? And then here's our verse. For to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's a measure of discipleship here. The degree to which you believe that sentence to be true. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then almost he's wrestling with the options. If I am to go living in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is is to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better. Of course it is. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to see you again. Powerful words. We're making lemonade out of lemons. As I read that, I, I kind of wrestle with that question, what if there's already a sweetness to the lemons that you have written off as sour? 
Well, we see the sweetness added here. We're adding the sweetness in two major categories. First of all, he's talking about sweetness in life. Jesus sweetens us. Let's dump that sugar in. Sweetness in life. Jesus adds the sweetness. The question we need to ask here is why? Why would Paul recognize this sweetness in his life? I'm so glad you asked. Check this out. Here's one. Oh, let's count the ways. Because of Jesus' love for him. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He's convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves him. That is sweetness to be found in life. How about this? Here's another reason why. Because of the strength that Jesus gave him for daily living. Look at this. If you skip to the end of this letter, Philippians chapter 4, he says, I can do all things, verse 13, through Jesus who strengthens me. How about this reason? Because of what Jesus would one day do for him. Skip back a chapter. Look at chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's a powerful sentence. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus, one of these days, oh, there's a blurry line between this life and the life to come. So how? How did Paul embrace sweetness in his life? Well, here's a way. By his attitude toward Christ. Remember, he said to live is Christ. He fleshes that thought out a little bit two chapters later. Look at this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That new bass boat, that new house, that new job promotion, all that stuff. He uses the word rubbish to describe them here in a minute. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them, here's our word as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. How about this? Here's a way he embraces the sweetness in his life by devoting his life to serving Jesus. Galatians chapter 2 puts it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He devoted his whole life to serving. Look at this. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 22, we just read it. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Let's skip ahead to verse 25. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain for your progress, for your joy in the faith. Jesus touches on this theme himself. There's this conversation he has with his disciples in Matthew chapter 25. He's saying, one of these days we're going to get to heaven, we're going to look backwards, and he's going to, we're going to say, well, Jesus, where were you? We didn't see you. And he says this. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it for me. Which raises the important question. If Paul is adding sweetness 
with his life, the sweetness that Jesus provides, the question we need to ask is, what about us? What about us? As you think about this next week that you're leaning into, what sweetness of Jesus are you bringing to the lemonade? You have some folks inside your sphere of influence who right now, life has dealt them a lemon. That's the only way they can see it. It might even feel overwhelming to them. How can you bring a bit of Jesus? sweetness in life into their world right now. We're adding the sweetness. Oh, my goodness. You talk about making this a powerful message. He's bridging the gap here between life and sweetness in death. You can't put too much sugar in lemonade. Let's give that sucker a stir. Death. Sweetness and death. That feels countercultural, doesn't it? It is. Make no mistake, that is a countercultural thought. That's what defines the hope that you have that a dying world, all they can see is lemons. That's what you bring to the equation to sweeten lemons to lemonade. Why would Paul recognize sweetness in his death? Oh, my goodness. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident. I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Jesus speaks to this. To some of Paul's contemporaries, through John, writing from the Isle of Patmos. Look at this in Revelation chapter 2. These are Jesus' words. Verse 10, he says, Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Paul felt that. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Paul felt that two years of it. Probably longer. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Skip ahead one chapter. Look what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right. That's a legal term. To sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Why? That's why. Paul embraced sweetness even in death because of those promises. Well, how? How did Paul embrace sweetness in his death? Philippians chapter 2, look at this, verse 17. He's foreshadowing. He said, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. Here's our word. I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. What about us? That's the question we need to ask. And here's where I want to land today. When you came in and you sat down, you probably noticed those communion elements. Would you grab those? Pull those out right now. If you've asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, there is a blurry line between this life and the life to come. Sometimes lemons are really an opportunity for lemonade. What about us? Could I just point out some truths to you real quick? 
First of all, we have the same motives to recognize sweetness in our death. We have the same promises from the same Savior that the Apostle Paul had. Here's the question. Will we embrace sweetness with our deaths? To live is Christ. To die is gain. How could we embrace sweetness in our deaths? Well, we probably won't suffer martyrdom for our faith. Probably. How about this? There is no retirement for the Christian. God calls you to wear out, not rust out. He wants you to run this race full-on sprint toward heaven. Leave it all on the court. You have a rest and a reward waiting for you in heaven, but Paul talks about running a race. Wear out, don't rust out. By the way, did you see in that text we just read, he's saying, I'm being poured out as a drink offering? Being poured out versus being a stagnant pool. The Bible talks about this, that we're called to be living water. Living water, I need to point out, has an inlet and it has an outlet. How are you doing in running that race, this life, the life to come? There's a blurry line between the two. I want to end with some time for communion, to commune with your Savior, to recognize that there's a blurry line between this life and the life to come. We've seen some lemons, and we've seen the opportunity for lemonade. We've seen the sweetness that Jesus provides in life, and there's a potential for sweetness even in death. As your mind is right now stuck between the temporal and the eternal, this life and the life to come, can I point out to you, communion, oh, we're rehearsing a meal. We're rehearsing a meal that one of these days, it's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And in my opinion, in my opinion, there's going to be lemonade. But that's not the best part of the meal. The best part of the meal is that we get to see Jesus face to face. And we enjoy that meal together with him then. And that's sweet. I want to invite you to start that process in your mind right now. I'm going to bow my head and I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to pray a prayer and then I'm going to invite you to continue that prayer. And when you're ready, you take that communion. Be reminded of sweetness in life, sweetness in death. There's a blurry line between this life and the life to come and there are lemons probably right now that you're facing in your life that Jesus would say there's an opportunity there for lemonade. Would you bow your heads with me?